Ocasio-Cortez and the squad have been spending truckloads of money on private security. Yes, the squad, Ocasio and the squad, while they're lecturing all of us about defunding the police, they're spending tens of thousands of dollars on private security firms. I'll tell you all the details coming up. You know, there are massive food shortages right now around the country, not in some third world country. There are massive food shortages in the U.S., and it's a result of the supply chain crisis, thanks to President Biden. That's coming up. Bernie Sanders and Joe Manchin are trying to iron out their differences. Sanders and Manchin, Sanders the socialist, and Joe Manchin, the moderate, who's really a liberal, but they call him a moderate, they're trying to compromise on the package. In other words, Sanders is trying to pressure Manchin into spending three and a half trillion dollars. We'll tell you all the details coming up. So, as I said, the socialist squad, Ocasio, Elon Omar, and the gang, they are spending huge money on private security firms while they're busy lecturing us, while they're busy jeopardizing our safety, public safety, and telling us, oh, the police are not necessary, the police are evil. Meanwhile, they're in their ivory tower, and they are surrounded by private security guards. Uh, oh, but they need it. They are members of Congress. Of course, they have to have private security. Well, well, what about all the rest of us? I mean, what about their own constituents who are living in the Bronx, living in Harlem, or living in Minnesota, or living in Michigan, in these dreadful neighborhoods, or the south side of Chicago, and they're hearing gunshots at night, and they're in incredible danger, not living in these fancy condominiums like Ocasio-Cortez. No, they don't need it. It's, it's only these congresswomen who need it. So let me tell you the details here. ocasio uh, combined with the, the the four members of the squad, uh, as they call them, I call them the cabal, they spent nearly $100,000 combined on private security in, in just the last three months. This is the third quarter. In just the last three months, they have spent a hun- almost $100,000 between the four of them, um, even though they've been pushing the defund the police movement. This was reported by Fox News. Ocasio's campaign spent over $10,000 on private security during that time. Ayanna Presley spent almost $4,000. Ocasio has been a staunch advocate of defunding the police. Ayanna Presley said, quote, she is ready to radically reimagine a system of public safety that ensures the dignity and humanity of all. However, Ocasio and Presley were eclipsed by Elon Omar and Cori Bush. Listen to this. Elon Omar, the vicious anti-Semite, she spent over $22,000 on private security during those three months. And Cori Bush uh, from from Missouri, she actually spent $65,000. $65,000. One congresswoman over three months. By the way, Elon Omar, in case you're wondering, she called the Minneapolis Police Department, quote, rotten to the root. And you know what's really funny i mean it's sad it's 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 wacky but what's really uh, ironic here is the money that was paid came from their campaign funds campaign donations so that means you had donors who were funding their campaigns who almost certainly supported their policy to defund the police ocasio's donors want to defund the police omar's donors want to defund the police and their they their donations actually went to rent Private police for these candidates, for these congresswomen, I should say. You cannot make this stuff up. All right. A bombshell story in the New York Post. President Biden has been secretly flying illegals from the Texas border 
into New York, into New York City and New York suburbs like Long Island. So, yeah, Joe Biden is sneaking illegals, minors, by the way. These are minors uh, who, who crossed the, the, the border illegally, sneaking them into New, the New York suburbs of Long Island, then releasing them into society. So not only are they letting them remain in the country and releasing them, but they get their own personal charter flight. How is it that illegals, they cross the border and then compliments of our of you and me, compliments of the taxpayers, of the U.S. government, they get their own personal charter flights to their destination. It's catch, fly, and release. So you have literally plane loads of underage migrants being flown, illegals, migrants, undocumented migrants, illegals being flown secretly I- I- into suburban New York in the middle of the night. In the middle, yes, Biden is sneaking them there in the middle of the night, trying as best as possible to cover this up and to and and to do it in a way that's not going to be discovered. Of course, the New York Post has exposed this. Uh, the charter flights originate in Texas, where, of course, as we know, the border crisis is totally out of control, and local uh, officials in these border towns, I mean, are completely overwhelmed and and, and simply just they're, they're they're bursting apart at the seams. So that's why they're taking these miners and they're relocating them. This has been happening since at least August, possibly even earlier. What's amazing is, you know, if Biden really believes that this is such a great policy, well, why is he hiding it then? Why is he doing this in the middle of the night? Why is he not announcing this? Why is he doing this secretly, trying as best as he can to cover it up? And when I say Biden, obviously I mean whoever it is who's really calling the shots in the White House. But, like, if you're such a big believer in open borders and in relocating these illegals and letting them out into these innocent suburban areas into these residential areas where they're going to do who knows what, become gang members and drugs and crime and who knows what else. Not all of them, but it doesn't matter. Some of them or maybe many of them, too many. One is too many. So do it in broad daylight and announce it publicly. I mean, did President Trump ever try to hide his border policies? President Trump had very tough border policies and they were controversial. They were not controversial to you and me because he was doing something called Defending the Constitution, protecting the country. He was doing, he was fulfilling his, his duty as president. But the, the, the media, I mean, they were vicious. They were, they, they viciously attacked Trump to no end over his border policies. Did he try to hide it? No, he was very proud of it, in fact. He did not enforce the border in the middle of the night, you know, but, but so Biden, not only is he implementing the socialist open border policies that Bernie Sanders and Ocasio and others have pressured him to do he's he's a coward he's doing it in cowardly fashion and and, and sneaky way sneak literally in the middle of the night hoping that he won't be discovered all right uh katie couric katie couric more news on this katie couric scandal where she of course edited her interview with rbg with ruth bader ginsburg to try to cover up ruth bader ginsburg's true opinions about the athletes who kneeled during the national anthem well katie couric is now defending the fact that she edited that interview she, she, Katie Couric herself was interviewed, and I guess supposedly we're assuming that the Katie Couric interview is, un, is unedited. Maybe it was live. I don't know. But she says that journalists do that kind of thing all the time. You can't make this stuff up. Katie Couric's defense is that journalists do that kind of thing all the way. Yeah, they edit out interviews all the time. Well, okay. A journalist, that, that's her defense. Journalists, uh, yeah, well, I edited RBG and I took out the parts that I thought people were going to be offended by, but Oh, journalists edit interviews all the time and cut things out all the, that's exactly the problem. I, that, that is the, that, that's not a defense. I mean, it's like somebody like being found guilty of fraud and saying, well, yes, I'm guilty. I committed fraud, but 
people in business commit fraud all the time. Like, well, oh, well, in that case, I mean, if people just commit this crime all the time, then I guess we, we could just sweep it under the rug and ignore it. And this is what amazing, what's amazing is this is journalism in 2021. It's like, well, you edited out the interview. I mean, where's your journalistic integrity? I mean, that's fake news. Well, well, people do this all the time. I mean, journalists, I know plenty of journalists who do exactly what I did. The, the entire journalism is reporting fake news. They're all busy, like, literally editing things out that they don't agree with. I mean, oh, well, in that case, no problem. All right, so let me read you here. According to reports, um, this is from Couric's own book. Quote, uh, she felt that, quote, when Ginsburg said people like, I believe this is a, a quote from her book or a paraphrase, people like Kaepernick were dumb and disrespectful, they were comments that were unworthy of a crusader for equality like the liberal Supreme Court justice. So what's, what's really amazing here is that – well, it gets better because the Supreme – according to the book, after she did the interview, the Supreme Court's PR department, public relations department, reached out to Katie Couric to ask her to edit the interview. So it's like Ruth Bader Ginsburg does this interview, um, blasts the athletes who take a knee during the national anthem – and then the Supreme Court's PR department reached out to Katie Couric. Now, why does the, the, are you kidding me? The Supreme Court has a PR department. I was not aware the Supreme Court has a public relations department. They are the Supreme Court. They are the U.S. Supreme Court. Why on earth do they need a PR department? It's like the Facebook whistleblower who we told you, you know, has their own public relations firm. The same one as Obama, by the way, and that Saki used to work for. But I mean, the, the Supreme Court has a PR department, and then they actually reached out to Katie Couric asking her to edit the interview. So here's a quote from uh, Couric's book. Quote, the day after the sit-down, the head of public affairs for the Supreme Court emailed Couric. I'm sorry, this is not a direct quote, obviously, from the book, but it, uh, apparently this is paraphrased from the book. Emailed Couric to say the, that the late justice had misspoken and asked that it be removed from the story. So you have the uh, public affairs department. Uh, asked, uh, said that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had misspoken. So Couric wrote, Couric in the book wrote she was conflicted. So she called fellow journalist David Brooks and he said, quote, Ginsburg probably did not understand the question. I mean, it's so condescending and it's so bogus because we know they didn't really believe that. Ruth Bader Ginsburg probably did not understand the question. Oh, because of course, because we're sure that our answer is right. We're sure that we defend these vicious athletes who take a knee. So like if Ginsburg doesn't agree with us, it can't be that she actually happens to be uh, accurate and happens to believe in what she said. She just must not have understood the question. I mean, it's so arrogant and condescending. It's just it's just absurd. So uh, then, of course, Katie Couric edited out the interview and left out uh, – comments that she felt were unworthy of the somebody of the stature of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So she was actually challenged, Katie Couric, by host Savannah Guthrie. She was interviewed by the Today Show, and host Savannah Guthrie pressed and grilled Couric and uh, suggested that uh, she violated ethical standards for a journalist. And Couric said, quote, Ultimately, I think I should have included it, but I also think it's really important to look at what I did include. So that's her defense. Well, look, I did include because she's saying she actually she did include the fact that like she brought up the topic. She brought up in the in the interview the topic was addressed. She just cut out the parts that she felt people would find offensive. So meanwhile, Savannah Guthrie didn't stop there. She said, "Quote: Well, how did you justify that? It violates a cardinal rule of journalism to do that." And Couric said back, quote, well, I think what people don't realize is we make editorial decisions like that all the time. And I chose to talk about this and put it in the book for a discussion. So here we have it. Journalism, it's all, as we've known for a long time, it's all rigged. It's all staged. It is fake. It is a mouthpiece for the radical left. And you know what's amazing? 
is like we're not talking here about like some moderate Democrat policy. Look what they're defending over. Look, look what she edited, Katie Couric. She edited in order to protect the lunatic athletes who literally have disgraced the national anthem and, and who despise the country that has given them this incredible, incredible opportunity to earn millions of dollars for, for playing sports. All right, so did you hear about China? China has tested a very dangerous missile, and this is like a game-changing missile because this gives China the ability to potentially strike the United States from anywhere, which is obviously very, very frightening, except if you're Jen Psaki. If you're Jen Psaki, this doesn't worry you one bit. She's just shrugging it off. I mean, it's just outrageous. China tested a new hypersonic missile, which can be launched basically from anywhere in the world and which can avoid detection. So that means that China can attack anytime, anywhere, and it's possible that the United States wouldn't have advance warning, China launched this long-range rocket and it deployed a hypersonic glide vehicle which circled the Earth in a low orbit. So like in English, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that they have a really scary weapon and that basically it can, it can just fly right near anywhere, including the United States, mainland, and just go totally undetected by radar until the very last minute. So they asked Jen Psaki about this and Psaki said... Quote, we welcome the competition. Oh, China, they're competing with us on these weapons. We welcome the competition. This was a direct quote from Jen Psaki. They asked her about this new Chinese weapon, which is so incredibly dangerous. We welcome the competition. We welcome as if like just, hey, you know, dismiss it like, all right, yeah, China. Wow, what a threat. I mean, we know Biden's good buddies with China, but like we welcome the competition. I mean, that would be here's what that's like. That's like somebody owns a gun for self-defense. They keep it in their house, right? They keep a gun for self-defense in their house, and then an intruder invades their house with a gun, and then the the house owner says, oh, well, I welcome the competition. Oh, you have a gun? Well, I also have a gun. Come on into my house. We welcome the competition. I mean, by the way, not only is China good for, is not as Biden good friends with China, Mark Milley is, of course, very good friends with China as well. We, You know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as we know. All right, we are proud to be hosted by the VIN News Podcast Network. Remember to send us an email, by the way, josh at joshmshow.com, J-O-S-H at joshmshow.com. We do read every email. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Josh M Show, and we usually will respond to your email. I'll, I'll hopefully do it personally, so please reach out about anything on your mind. Mayor Bill de Blasio is eliminating a program for gifted kids. By the way, you know, there was that interview with uh, between George Stephanopoulos and Christopher Steele, the author of the Steele dossier. We are not going to be able to get to that one today, so hopefully we will get to that and tell you the details about that interview next time. Christopher Steele, of course, defended his debunked, discredited, fake, phony dossier, so we will tell you those details Hopefully next time, Mayor Bill de Blasio is eliminating a program that's considered racist. Well, what's racist about this this program? It's a program for gifted kids. It's a program in the New York City, City public schools for gifted children. But it, but de Blasio says it's racist, so he's eliminating it. I mean, this is just madness. De Blasio is phasing out New York City's gifted and talented program. Uh, it does look like Eric Adams, who, who is uh, in all likelihood going to be elected the next mayor of New York, he says who he's not great by any stretch of the imaginations. He's a Democrat, of course. At this point, that's all you're gonna get in New York City. But uh he does seem to be, you know, a far better option than de Blasio, at least for now. Look, I don't trust any of these Democrats, but uh he he appears on the surface to be better than de Blasio. Now, I mean, 
I think Vladimir Putin might be a better mayor for New York City than, than Bill de Blasio. So let's be honest here. But uh, at least, you know, something to sort of hope for. Not that I'm very hopeful at all. But either way, he does seem to say he's going to reinstate um, this program. But here's the pro- this program is supposedly it improves the education system, right? The disastrous education, public education system in New York City. This program gives gifted children higher level education. So instead of sitting through the same curriculum as all, you know, as all the other students, if, if, if they're found to be gifted and have special talents, then they're part of this special program. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? No, it sounds racist to de Blasio and these, and these liberals and these socialists. I, I'm guessing that more whites qualified for this program than blacks. So that makes it racist, right? If, if, if you put out a, a program for gifted kids and more whites qualify, well, what about the merits? What about the fact that they qualified because they were the one, the whites were, more whites were gifted than blacks? Well, no, no, that, that's not possible. So that makes it a racist program. I mean, let me ask you a question. What if the program had 80% black kids and 20% white kids? Would that also be a racist program against, against whites? Would they phase it out if that were the case? Um, and here's another question. Let's say I tell you, and, and who knows, you know, what the breakdown is of the population in these schools, but let's, let's assume that, let's assume that a higher percentage of whites, uh, were part of this program than blacks, qualified than blacks, right? What if I told you that more black children came from dysfunctional families through no fault of their own, but that's just the reality, that was just the culture? What if I tell you they don't read as much as the white kids, they watch more television than the white kids, or something like that, some ex- some cultural explanation of why they're not as gifted, because they, they they simply did not, were not trained the same way, were not conditioned the same way, and and just, just weren't given the same opportunities by their families. Would that be considered racist? Nothing inherent about blacks per se, but, you know, they just don't do as well in school because they just weren't trained that way by their families just because of circumstances. That wouldn't be racist, right? I mean, this is the same mentality as when... They, uh, the, these shampoo companies, Unilever and whichever shampoo companies, they stopped saying that the shampoo will whiten your skin, or I guess the soap, the soap will whiten your skin and brighten your skin because it's racist, because only white people want to have whiter skin, not, 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 not black people. I mean, and when they got rid of Aunt Jemima, remember they got rid of Aunt Jemima because Aunt Jemima somehow is racist. I mean, they're just denying reality. That's all, that's all this is. All right, so as I said, there are massive food shortages right now around the country. And the issue is not the food. The issue is the supply chain. This is a lagging result of the COVID lockdowns, and it is squarely on President Biden. The blame rests squarely on the Biden administration and on Pete Buttigieg because they have completely dropped the ball. I mean, like with everything else. I mean, is anybody surprised one bit? So according to Bloomberg, according to a story in Bloomberg, public school children in Denver are facing milk shortages right now. We're not talking about some African third world country. In Chicago, a local market is, is is running short of canned goods and of boxed items. Now, there's plenty of food. It's, the issue is not the food. The issue is the supply chain. The issue is the transportation. There's not enough processing capacity and transportation capacity to meet the rising demand because the economy now is actually ramping up, which I suppose is a good thing, although with inflation, it, 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 the inflation mess is a total nightmare, a total disaster, but at least the economy is hopefully getting stronger. The problem is nobody wants to work. So um, th- this is the result of the incompetence. Buttigieg and Biden knew about this months ago, and they've done nothing about it. In fact, Pete Buttigieg just came out for just came off of paternity leave. So here's here are some stunning details. 
Do you know that off the off the coast of L.A. and Long Beach, California, off the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, 66 cargo ships were anchored in the middle of the water, 66 ships literally sitting there near the ports waiting to deliver goods. The backlog of the ports has been caused by several factors, a rise in consumer demand, a lack of dock workers to offload ships, a lack of truckers to remove containers, and a lack of space for containers at the ports. So there's basically like a huge bubble right now. And this is happening to a lot of part, a lot of different parts of the economy um, where there's just like this bubble because there are millions of vacant jobs and because there's this lag where, you know, a lot of people were either out of work or there were a lot of projects that were put on hold. And, uh, you know, the, now the combination of a major demand and a lack of supply, meaning meaning millions of vacant jobs, so a lack of employees, a lack of workers, a lack of truckers, etc., you know, at a certain point, things have to crash. The bubble has to burst, right? And it's pretty frightening. We're going to keep an eye. Now, Buttigieg, who, as I said, was out on paternity leave for like two months. I mean, what is that all about? And you're going to say, well, he's entitled. He has a right. There's that. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, he has a very, very crucial job there as Secretary of Transportation. Like, don't don't you say, listen, uh, th- this is nice, but I have, I've got to get to work here. But uh, he says the crisis is going to continue into next year. And Buttigieg actually tried to spin this into a positive. I mean, this is really uh, outrageous. Buttigieg said, quote, he said that the supply chain disruptions will continue until next year. Well, why can't you do something about it? I mean, it's October. You have months until next year. What are you telling us is going to continue until next year? Tell us you're going to do everything you can to try to stop it. But here's what's amazing is Buttigieg tried to spin this into a positive. He said, quote, Demand is up because income is up because the president has successfully guided this economy out of the teeth of a terrifying recession, end quote. So Buttigieg is trying to tell me that Biden somehow has been successful on the economy. He's guided the economy out of a, a ter- the teeth of a terrifying recession. He's spending this into a number one. It's a disaster because there are food shortages in the United States. That's not supposed to happen. And it's due to, to, a, to, to a supply chain issue and a, and a transportation issue. So that's totally the responsibility of the government. I'm not into blaming the government for things, but clearly, clearly this is their incompetence. They've been incompetent on every single issue, every issue from Afghanistan to the economy to the border, etc. And you're telling me, well, uh, the, 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 and, and Biden's been a disaster on the economy. Two, two, there's a new poll. Two-thirds of the country have no faith in Biden on the economy. But, like, you're going to spin this into a good thing? I mean, somehow I'm supposed to be happy because, oh, look, well, demand is up because the economy is doing – well, people need to eat. People need to eat. It costs an arm and a leg to eat anything. Now, to buy any food, to buy any groceries, to buy basic – you know, food, uh, staples, including gasoline and, 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 and just plain old-fashioned groceries. And, like, you're going to somehow tell me that this is a positive. Well, look, it's because of the Biden economy. Well, no, it's because people need to eat. They eat. You can have the worst president in the world. People still need to eat, and they need to buy food, and there's not enough food. And school children need, need milk. But that's not the point. The point is don't try to, like, tell me, well, look, yeah, this is a disaster, but, like, look at the right side. This is because Biden, Biden has guided the country. Biden has brilliantly managed to rescue us from the the, the, the the teeth of a recession. Wow, let's all have incredible co- – I mean, co- you think you're fooling anybody? I mean, Biden has been a total disaster on the economy. Mark Meadows put out a tweet, quote, Just imagine the reaction if a Trump official said this, that the real reason for rising prices and a supply chain crisis was because we're actually doing a great job. You cannot make this up. I mean, well, look at – well, uh, there are major shortages and there are 66 ships that are waiting to dock 
in a port in L.A. and Long and Long Beach, California. Well, what do you have to say for that? Well, the Biden's amazing. Look at look at how strong the economy must be if you're having this kind of shortage. So the IG, the Inspector General, is investigating the Afghanistan debacle. This is the Inve- Inspector General at State Department. Each cabinet has its own. Uh, Inspector General, own IG. So the IG is investigating, well, reviewing, according to the Biden people. They're only reviewing the Afghanistan debacle. The the IG is not investigating. It's just a review. Um, Diana Shaw, acting IG for the State Department, has launched a series of investigations into President Biden's botched Afghanistan pullout. This was confirmed by Politico. The probe is going to focus on the review. We'll focus on the State Department's special immigrant visa program, Afghans who were given refugee admission status into the U.S., resettlement of refugees and visa recipients, and the emergency evacuation of the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. And I might interject here. I mean, for all we know, they, 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 it is very hard to believe that they knew how to verify who belonged in the United States, who didn't. In other words, they were just handing out these visas randomly to basically anybody who asked, who demanded evacuation, and who was able to get on a plane. And it's very, very likely that there were terrorists who who, who snuck into the country by uh, getting a, a phony visa, a, a blank visa, and basically claiming to be a refugee. So this pullout was a disaster. You know, they also should investigate why Biden ignored the warnings of his military experts who said that the Taliban would swoop in as soon as they got out of the country, which is what happened. Uh, investigate why Biden left behind hundreds of billions of dollars worth of weapons. I mean, this was the biggest foreign policy debacle in my, probably in U.S. history. Nobody's been fired. Nobody has gone to jail. Meanwhile, the, the, the Pentagon inspector general recently announced three other reviews, and that include one of the, one of them is the botched drone strike in Kabul that killed ten innocent civilians um, instead of the uh, an ISIS target. They they, they they believed it was an ISIS target, but of course that was a tragic, tragic, unspeakable, horrific mistake. Um, State IG spokesperson Ryan Holden. Um, called the probe's investigation. So the actual State Department spokesperson, I guess for the inspector general, said that this is not an investigation, it's just a review. So I don't even know what to believe. It's an investigation, or at least it should be. Put it that way. Whether it is or it's not, if it's not, it's because they're covering this up. But um, it, it, it obviously should be an investigation. But um, Ryan Holden told Politico, quote, it is inaccurate to say these projects are investigations. We indicated to Congress that they will be reviews. President Trump says that he would never – he was interviewed by Bill O'Reilly. He says he would never mandate vaccines. But Trump says that he would figure out a way to persuade people to take the vaccines. Yeah, I, I wouldn't need to mandate the vaccines, Trump says, because I'd figure out a way to get people to take it without a mandate. And I, I said this. I said We said this a while ago that if this were Trump, the vaccine rollout, the distribution, it would be done so much better than Biden. And Biden's sitting there complaining about the unvaccinated people. Trump – he wouldn't complain about it and he wouldn't mandate it. He would figure out a way creatively to get people to, to convince people to, to take the vaccine, at least, you know, at least most people. Obviously, you're not going to get the entire population. So here in an interview with O'Reilly, Trump said, quote, I would not say to anybody you have to, but I would sell it. Look, I'm very proud of what we did with the vaccines. It was supposed to take five years. They said it wasn't going to work. I did three vaccines in less than nine months and they do work. They work really well. I would convince people to take it. I don't want to push it. When I was president, there was no talk about mandates. Everybody wanted the vaccine. Now a lot of people don't want it, end quote. And, and uh, you know, I would just point out Trump gets zero credit. Who knows how many lives he saved with this vaccine. By the Democrats' own admission, 
This this vaccine is the greatest thing that ever happened in terms of fighting COVID by far. So much so that the Democrats seem to sometimes suppress other therapeutics, other treatments, treatments that come when a person already has been diagnosed with COVID because they're pushing so hard on the vaccine. It should be called the Trump vaccine. His 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 face should be on billboards across the country thanking him for the vaccine. And yet they don't even mention him. And they, and they never show appreciation for what he accomplished with the vaccine. And, and, and I always say if Biden were president or if Hillary were president, we'd still be waiting for a vaccine. I mean, uh, warp speed. It never would have happened. All right, so Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Bernie Sanders, they're trying to iron out their differences, work out a compromise. Democrats right now are scrambling to bridge what has become a bitter divide, a bitter fight over the $3.5 trillion spending package. Manchin says that he will not support a spending bill that costs more than $1.5 trillion. He opposes many key provisions of the Biden spending package, including the Build Back Better, or they should call it Bankrupt Your Kids bill. Uh, Manchin opposes the green energy provisions. He opposes the entitlements. And liberal Democrats, this is according to some story in, in, in the mainstream media, liberal Democrats are angry at Manchin. Now, what's incredible is liberal Democrats, Manchin is a liberal Democrat. Don't tell me how he's really a moderate or he's really conservative or he votes with Trump sometimes. Look, number one, Manchin only voted with Trump the one or two times he did or, you know, he did a handful of times when Trump was president. It was only because he needed to cover himself. He knew that a lot of his constituents are Trump supporters, so he knew what he needed to do for re-election, plain and simple. Manchin did not do it because of his ideology. Uh, he did it for, for very practical reasons, but Manchin's a liberal. If you look at his voting record, he's a liberal. I know he's not as liberal as some other members of the Senate, but that's the point. The point is that so many senators are radical left, radical leftists and are borderline socialists or socialists, true socialists like, like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. So, um, so, so yeah, compared to them, uh, Joe Manchin is, is a moderate, but it's really there, the socialist, and Joe Manchin is just an old-fashioned liberal, which, which used to be an extremist back a few years ago. So anyway, so liberal Democrats, as they're called, or socialists, are angry. They say three and a half trillion dollars is, is actually less than what they were hoping to pass. So it's like they're starting off so high that the bar is like, well, three and a half trillion, three and a half trillion. Why is Manchin upset about that? That's not even a lot of money. So anyway, the leftist, uh, the leftists who are in favor of the three and a half trillion and who view that as a compromise, they don't want to concede yet, uh, to Manchin, who's d- demanding that it be reduced to one and a half trillion. So over the weekend, Bernie Sanders published an op-ed in West Virginia, in the West Virginia newspaper, the Charleston Gazette Mail. So he, this is in Manchin State. Bernie Sanders from Vermont actually published an op-ed calling out Joe Manchin. And here's a quote from the op-ed, quote, poll after poll shows overwhelming support for the legislation, yet the political problem we face is that in a 50-50 Senate, we need every Democrat senator to vote yes. We only have 48. Two Democratic senators remain opposed, including Joe Manchin. And Manchin, he actually fired back at Sanders. But before that, I just want to mention, you know, every, Sanders throws this around again and again. Poll after poll shows overwhelming support for the legislation. I want to explain that because it's very important. You know, they, they, part of this legislation is um, a Medicare expansion. So they're going to expand Medicare to uh, to cover, what, dental and vision or something like that, dental uh, dental and vision coverage. Uh, part of it is child is an, is an extension of the child tax credit. They're going to give free tuition to community college for the first two years of community college. So all sorts of goodies, all sorts of socialist um, freebies, right? 
so or, or, or whatever whatever Ocasio decides to call it because she doesn't like calling it free stuff. But it includes all sorts of free stuff. So what they do is when they poll people, they don't tell people, hey, do you want to spend $3.5 trillion on on socialist programs, on free stuff, on entitlements. Do you want to spend three and a half trillion? Where are we going to get that money? Well, we're going to have to borrow it from China or we're going to have to go into more debt or there'll be a deficit. They don't ask them that. They say, hey, would you like the government to cover dental insurance for seniors? Would you like the government to cover Medicare to cover dental and vision? Would you like the government to give you uh, more more child tax credits? You know, would you like the government to give you to, – to, to ensure – that uh, you get free child care. I mean, universal pre-K. Do you want, you know, the government to give you all, all sorts of incredible freebies, free college tuition? And, and people are like, oh, sure, I want all that free stuff. You know, it's the majority of people support the offer, the free stuff, government giving out free stuff. Well, what's the downside? Well, they don't tell them the downside. You know, do you want me to give you um, free a free gift card to Amazon right now. I'll take a poll. You know, how many people want me to hand them a free $50 Amazon gift card? Well, 99.9% of people, hey, let's give, I'm going to go and give out free Amazon gift cards to everyone I see because when you take polls, people are desperate for Amazon gift cards. Look at that. It's a great idea. Well, the problem is nobody in the poll, nobody who takes these polls ever says to them, by the way, here's the downside. They just tell them the upside. Hey, you want free stuff? Uh, sure, I want free stuff. I mean, you have to be crazy not to want free stuff, right? So that these polls are bogus. These polls are totally, totally fake. And, and if people realized the incredible sacrifice and realized the, you know, the, 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 the current situation right now with the deficit, with the debt and everything else – and, 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 and realized the downside and realized how dangerous it is for the country to just keep borrowing money and to just keep going into more and more debt and, and have no way to spend – no way to possibly um, spend uh, – pay, pay it back and, 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 and no way to possibly balance the budget ever, ever again perhaps by the way. It's crazy as it sounds. It hasn't been balanced in many, many, many years. So if, if they would pull that way, trust me, the results of this poll would be very different. Anyway, so Manchin fired back. He said, quote, this is not the first time an out-of-stater has tried to tell West Virginians what is best for them despite having no relationship to our state. And he added that the nation is struggling with supply chain issues, inflation, thousands of unfilled jobs. Quote, Congress should proceed with caution on any additional spending. I will not vote for a reckless expansion of government programs. No op-ed from a self-declared independent socialist is going to change that. End quote. So that's Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, the liberal Calling out Sanders, being very, very strong there, um, labeling Sanders a socialist, which he is. He's a self-avowed socialist. And more importantly, Manchin himself pointing out, despite being a liberal, uh, uh, po- pointing out that he's not going to support reckless expansion of government programs. But realize 48 Democrat senators support this reckless expansion and not to mention hundreds of Democrats in the House. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.